30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard One moment, I'm gliding through the parking lot like a hot knife through cold butter. The next, I'm sprawled on the pavement like a packet of crushed saltine crackers. It was Monday night, my last night in San Diego, after spending a week visiting my youngest brother. We'd been cruising through Balboa Park on one wheels, which for those of you who aren't familiar, is a motorized contraption that looks like a plank of wood with a chunky go-kart wheel shoved through its center. It works like a Segway without safety features. You ride sideways, leaning forward to move forward, leaning back to slow down. We'd been cruising for over an hour, zipping around the dusky park with freedom and ease, and were now heading back to the car so I could go home and pack my bags for my morning flight. An amazing end to an excellent visit. And that's when suddenly, for reasons I still don't understand, my forward lean turned into a forward fall. I slammed into the ground with the full force of the one wheel's infernal motor, landing solidly on my hip, stunned by pain and the sudden transition from blissful movement to agonizing immobility. Trying to walk was a non-starter. My left leg refused to lift itself, even when my mind prodded the muscles that normally replied promptly to such commands. Each step was unbearable. Something was decidedly wrong with my body. And so it was that within the hour, I found myself sitting alone in a San Diego ER, contemplating how my evening had gone so astray, trying desperately to will reality to rectify itself and return to a slightly better path. I had yet to see the doctor, so I felt myself to be in a Schrodinger's cat-like state of indeterminacy. This injury could be anything, from a shattered femur to a really bad boo-boo. And if I could only steer my existence to the possibility where a doctor tells me it's a bad bruise, but nothing's broken, I'd be able to fly home in the morning. But in that moment, grimacing through clenched teeth as I waited to be wheeled back for x-rays, did I really have that control? Were multiple potentialities laid out before me, like a magician daring me to pick a card? any card? Or was destiny a straight shot and I was now on this ride, whether I wanted to be or not? My mind cycled through various perspectives. On one hand, I'm a goddamn wizard, and I should be able to magic my way out of this. But on the other, maybe the situation calls for acceptance, and I should have faith in the painful detour destiny has led me down. Maybe this accident serves a greater purpose, protecting me from the horrible fate that would have befallen me had I not had this minor accident. In a desolate ER waiting room, I saw probabilities and possibilities stretch out before me as pain tuned my mind to the hidden structure our everyday existence obscures. And in that moment, 
While I still didn't know whether my bones were broken, I saw very clearly how to fracture your reality. The Magic of Control Alistair Crowley defined magic as the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. This was the school of magical thinking I first discovered as a young man, the idea that by working rituals and spells, we could steer reality towards desired outcomes, causing change to conform to our will. While Crowley's definition would lead you to believe he saw magic as a way to make things happen, when you read deeper into his philosophical works on magic, he's far more concerned with ascending the tree of life to achieve mystical communion with one's holy guardian angel than he is offering advice on how to use magic to get jobs, find lovers, or manifest specific desired changes in physical reality. While control over the uncontrollable and lust for tangible results has always been a part of magical traditions in one form or another, for me, it was the chaos magicians who really brought that aspect to the forefront. Stripped of religious dogma, they presented magic rituals as recipes for getting what you wanted. How do you know your magic worked? You got what you wanted. While the chaos said you could launch a sigil any way you desired, what ultimately mattered was whether the sigil succeeded. It was a magic where means were mutable, and only the end was essential. In fact, most chaos magic texts seem so assured of your success, they spent considerable time pressing the importance of precisely wording your statement of will so you didn't accidentally attempt to manifest more money and get it in the form of an insurance settlement after an 18-wheeler left you paralyzed from the neck down. In other words, the monkey's paw worked. You just had to use it with caution. Now, in my own experiences, I've found this to be a far more mixed bag than internet forums would lead you to believe. I've had countless experiences of sigils manifesting themselves in strange and delightful ways, from minor events like securing snacks through synchronicity to larger life path moments, like getting admitted into college even after my application had been rejected. There's definitely something to these magical techniques. Otherwise, I wouldn't be the wizard I am today. But what they don't offer is complete control. Reality is messy, and I've yet to meet any magician who possessed the power to skip from one desired outcome to the next without encountering any pitfalls or tragedies in between. In fact, most of the magicians I know struggle with anxiety, depression, and economic uncertainty, and they use magic as a way to soothe and slow down the slings and arrows of modern living, rather than create an impenetrable shield of pure will. Taking the command and control theory of magic to its extreme, you get into militant law of attraction nonsense, which says reality is completely controlled by our thoughts, so good things happen to people who think good thoughts, and bad things happen to people who think bad thoughts. Rhonda Byrne, author of the Oprah Book Club occult classic The Secret, went so far as to say, in a large-scale tragedy like 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, etc., we see that the law of attraction responds to people being at the wrong place at the wrong time because their dominant thoughts were on the same frequency of such events. Now, this doesn't mean that they thought of the exact event, but if their dominant thoughts and feelings were in alignment with the energy of fear, separation, powerlessness, and having no control over outside circumstances, then that is what they attracted. Um, yikes. 
I don't fuck with any metaphysics that says you died in a natural disaster or terrorist attack because you weren't thinking happy thoughts. The allure of a magic of control is still hard to resist. Sitting in the ER waiting room, my initial thoughts move very much in this direction. If I could white-knuckle my will, if I could think the right thoughts, maybe, just maybe, I could make this all go away. I never thought I'd suddenly appear back in that parking lot safely standing by the car, having jumped to an entirely different reality, but a part of me held out the hope that I could manifest a better outcome for my x-rays. And then I saw myself thinking these thoughts, stopped, and said, no, no, I don't think magic works this way. I had an accident and I got hurt. Wizardry couldn't stop my mom from dying of cancer. It couldn't stop a global pandemic from disrupting last year's reality. And I don't think it's going to make me any less hurt than I obviously am right now. And as a matter of fact, this lust for control is making me feel worse. Ironically, it makes me feel more out of control. Because if achieving the desired outcome is just a matter of thinking the right thoughts or visualizing a sigil correctly, the fact that I'm hurt when I don't want to be means I'm doing something wrong. It means if I was smarter, better, more magical, more powerful, I could alter this reality as I desired, and the fact that I can't means I'm fucking it up. And that's not what wizardry is about. But while I couldn't shift possibilities at will, I could shift my own perspective. So that's what I did. Letting go of the magic of control and embracing the faith of religion. I'll tell you what. When you can really do it, acceptance feels incredible. Trying to will an alternate reality into existence is exhausting. So when I finally sat back and said, okay, fuck it, I'm hurt. I can't change that, and I'm just going to trust that this is the way it's meant to be. Well, I suddenly felt a lot better. It's one of the arguments I've seen about why atheism is more common among wealthy elites than downtrodden poor. You'd think that those getting the short end of the stick would be less likely to accept the this is God's plan line, but faith is a powerful tool for keeping one's head up in a cruel, uncaring world. Of course, plenty of religious people still play at the control game, asking God to smite their high school football rivals and help them get those winning lotto numbers. And plenty of magicians and mystics find faith an essential element for navigating reality's stormy seas. So the distinction I'm drawing here isn't cut and dry, but exists along a continuum. I remember being at a party in Austin, Texas one night, and some dude went to swing his backpack over his shoulder without realizing it was unzipped. Out fell the completely full handle of whiskey he'd bought, shattering upon impact. Fuck! He screamed, full of fury and anger. Hey man, I called out, that whiskey was cursed. You would have gotten a DUI if you drunk that bottle. Things are much better this way. But he didn't want to accept that view. He wanted to drink that whiskey that was now soaking through the sod beneath his feet, and he was pissed reality hadn't gone his way. But I've used that same technique for myself many times with great success. In fact, it's one of my favorite aspects of the Hindu deity Ganesh. As lord of obstacles, Ganesh is believed to not only remove obstacles from our path, but also place them in our way forcing us to take alternate routes. This was something I discussed last year on the podcast 
right around this time as the pandemic forced all of us to take an unexpected detour. If you view life from the standard perspective, looking forward into an indeterminate future, these detours can seem like major bummers. It sucks to suffer setbacks and be denied the objects of our desire. But viewed from the fourth dimension, these winding routes are just the natural courses our lives take. You wouldn't have gotten that job you love if that other job you wanted hadn't turned you down. You wouldn't be with your current partner today if your high school sweetheart hadn't broken your heart. As various hospital staff took turns wheeling my bed down long hallways towards the x-ray exam table, I watched the fluorescent panel lights go by overhead and considered the boon this might be. While an able-bodied me in an alternate reality would be flying home to doom and disaster tomorrow, I'd be tending to my injuries and heading straight towards a far kinder fate. I embraced this injury as an inevitability and accepted the things I could not change. While I still felt pretty fucked up from my fall, I felt far better than I had when I was desperately trying to regain control. Eternalism is a philosophy of time promoted by Alan Moore, among others, that fits the time travel logic of the first Terminator film. We're not going to worry about the convoluted logic of the sequels. In the first film, a machine assassin and a human soldier are sent back in time to, respectively, kill and protect the mother of the future leader of the human resistance movement. But through the course of the film, we see how these events actually lead to that leader's birth rather than prevent it, creating a time loop where the events of the past are caused by the future as much as the future is normally caused by the past. Eternalism is often referred to as a block universe, where all that's ever happened and will ever happen exists as a solid block, and our awareness moves through it in a linear fashion, but doesn't create or alter anything. It's like being on a cheap haunted house ride at the carnival, where the cart jumps and jerks as mechanical ghosts pop out to scare you, but the tracks the cart follows are set. Once you board the ride, the ending is predetermined. The cart contains no steering wheel. You can have faith in divine providence and accept things as they are without fully buying into eternalism. But I think it's really splitting hairs at that point. If the world follows God's plan and God is infallible, does it matter if we imagine him executing the plan in real time or the plan already existing all at once and we're simply moving through it on the greased rails of destiny? But embracing fate leads to fatalism. The idea that we don't have any say in the matter whatsoever, no free will, a philosophy that the Terminator's only good sequel, Terminator 2 Judgment Day, rejects by doubling down on the mantra, the future is not set. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves. But if there truly is no fate but what we make for ourselves, how do we make it if not the occult art of causing change to occur in conformity with will, or by attracting awesomeness with our super great, super duper positive thoughts. It was after my fourth, painful, bed-to-table butt scoot for my second round of CAT scans that I realized there was another way. The robotic voice of the CAT scan machine instructed me to breathe, hold, resume breathing, as the machine took not one x-ray, but a series of them, 
a multiplicity of images revealing not just the precise nature of my injury, but the mysticism mysticism of the multiplex. If you watch enough prices right, sooner or later you'll see a lucky contestant play Plinko. The game is played on a long, flat, slanted board punctured by a grid of evenly spaced pegs. Competitors drop a chip from their chosen starting point and watch as the chip bounces at each peg, forking either left or right. As the chip moves down the board, those lefts and rights add up, forcing the chip to a final resting place that is by no means a straight shot from where it started. Now, imagine that instead of a chip, it's a capsule with a human passenger. Every time their capsule approaches a peg, the human could throw their weight into the side, hoping to shift their course to the left or right. I'd be willing to bet that the human capsule could outperform random chance, but I doubt that even with practice, any human rider would be able to pick a final destination and guide themselves down the Plinko board with perfect accuracy every time. And that's how I came to view reality and make sense of my predicament. I was not an occult Argonaut, master of my domain, who with a will of steel and perfect thoughts could dictate the flow of my reality as easily as entering a chosen destination into a rideshare app. But I also wasn't sledding down a single divine predestined track, merely marveling at the scenery as it passed me by. Instead, I saw myself to be a slalom skier on God's great Plinko board, doing my best to navigate the pegs reality put in my path and making do with the rights I really wish I could have left. And that's where I found my magic, not in not making mistakes, but in what I make out of them. Once upon a time, I was in Houston for a friend's wedding. A group of old friends were staying at an Airbnb, and the day of the wedding, we decided to go get brunch before heading to the ceremony. The first place we went had a two-hour wait, which was not going to work for us. So we were cruising around, trying to navigate the unfamiliar city and consult Yelp for an acceptable option at the same time. A confusing turn thrust us onto the highway, and suddenly we were going away from any of the options we considered with no way to turn back, as all the exits led to other highways, taking us even further into unknown territory. We exited the freeway as soon as we were able, and I refreshed my phone to see if there was anything to eat in the area, as now we were running dangerously short on time. The first option that appeared was called The Hobbit's Cafe. My wizard's intuition tingled. Guys, I shouted, we need to eat here. The place was everything you'd want a restaurant called The Hobbit Cafe to be. Dragons, elves, and wizards covered the walls. The food was cozy, vegetarian-friendly, and fantastic, and I even bought one of their Gandalf-stenciled shirts. It was perfect. And we'd only made our way there by surfing the chaos and confusion that preceded it. The initial setback thrust us into a greater alternative, but it was our actions and my swift yelping that made it possible. My morphine-induced reverie on the multiplex nature of reality was interrupted by a doctor letting me know the results of the scans. I'd fractured my pelvis in three places. They were going to admit me to the hospital for a few days, and then I would be looking at three months of bed rest before I could even begin to start putting weight on my left leg. 
This was not the path I'd magically chosen for myself, nor the fated path some divine power had selected for me. This was the interplay of choice and chance, the bouncing chaos of an infinite multiverse, and now it was time for me to play the hand I was dealt. And when you've got a handful of cards, well, that's a great time to do a little magic. Not the magic of control, but instead, the wizardry of writing your own narrative. The last time I was stuck in bed for a month, I ended up on an experimental medication that turned my hair white. This is the tale I've told countless times when people ask me about my wizardry, and I realize the most effective answer will be regaling them with this story and showing them my before and after white hair wizard pictures. But lately, I've gotten tired of telling this story. I realized recently that moving to Kentucky and emerging from this pandemic feels like a new chapter in my wizard narrative is emerging. I made the decision to stop telling this tale when people asked me how I became a wizard and come up with a new answer instead. And I was already planning on making some big changes to this podcast, to our Patreon, and my Person as Awake brand that we'll get into in an upcoming episode. So while fracturing my pelvis the night before I was supposed to fly home wasn't my ideal, and I don't think it was inevitable, it is what happened. And I get to decide what to make of it. Because it's events like these that anchor our narratives. It's what makes movies and TV shows entertaining. Nobody cares about a heist that goes off without a hitch. A hero that always succeeds is boring, and one that dies instantly, well, that makes for a really short movie. What makes these stories compelling is seeing how heroes succeed in the face of failure, of how they perform when they encounter obstacles, of what they come up with when everything goes awry. And so I find myself at the cliffhanger ending of my big first chapter. I turned myself into a wizard, got put on pills that made my hair white, rode the subway granting wishes, started a ritual disguise as a podcast, moved to Kentucky in the middle of a global pandemic, and fractured my pelvis, falling off a dangerously fun death trap in a parking lot in San Diego. Cut to commercial. Tune in to the exciting conclusion on next week's episode. And now, a new chapter begins. What magic will I work while stuck in bed for a month? Again. What does a recuperated wizard do in America's new post-pandemic, post-Trump, roaring 20s? When my pelvis heals, will I have super pelvis powers like that kid's broken arm in Rookie of the Year? Stay tuned, because I don't know the answers either. The future is not set. There is no fate but what we make for ourselves out of the raw deals and bad hands we're dealt. Oh, and since I'm stuck in bed and can't do anything fun, I'd love to hear from you. Help a wizard bounce back after a bad fall, either by emailing me at our new podcast address, this podcast is a ritual at gmail.com, or by calling the wizard hotline at 860-415-6009. Say hello, tell me a joke, recommend some media, or share your own story of how you overcame one of life's many obstacles. We're all in this ritual together, and I couldn't do any of this without you. My wizardry is just stitching together the story. It's your magic. That's real. 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 That's real.